Uh, we mentioned Nelson Figueroa was coming up. He uh, spent time in his career with uh, the uh, great Roy Halladay, who passed away today and tragically at the age of 40, and he joins us now. Nelson, welcome. How are you? I'm okay. Just uh, in shock, really. Uh, I think um, the whole baseball world is. I think you see the outpouring of, of uh, sympathy and uh, emotions from everyone in baseball. Um, this is a guy who, whether you were a teammate, whether you were an opponent, you had nothing but the utmost respect for one of the greatest uh, pitchers of our generation um, and really defined a generation where everybody else is kind of pushing towards, you know, just getting through ball games. This guy would go out there, and it was a heavyweight championship bout to him, and he was not going to lose a fight. He was um, one of the best competitors I have ever been around, uh, a guy who, in between his starts, put in so much work, both uh, physical preparation, mental preparation, and his side work was second to none. Uh, there was never a day you could say he went through the motions of just enjoying being in the big leagues. He was just the, the, the greatest competitor I've ever been around. Now, when you were around him, he's in Philadelphia, so he has already been established as a superstar pitcher. He's come over there. He's already, in 2010, had a great year, and now this is 2011. Uh, tell us the player you encountered. I, I got to a guy who it was funny because here he is, again, like you said, a superstar, a guy who really set the bar of what a ace pitcher was supposed to be. Uh, one of the most coveted pitchers in all of baseball at the time, and the, and the Phillies were able to get him. And he's every time he went on the mound, he did not disappoint. And what I mean by that is that all of us guys in the bullpen, we sat back and knew, other than the closer, we had a day off because this guy was, it wasn't about a matchup. It wasn't about lefties or righties. It wasn't about a hundred pitch count. It was about, it's Roy's day today. And Roy doesn't disappoint. Roy was such a machine that he would go out there on the mound and be able to execute his game plan. And once that game finished, on the way home that night, I'm sure he was already calculating his next opponent and how he was going to be able to dominate them. Because it wasn't just about competing and, and pitching to win. It was about dominating. That's what he did. He just dominated in a way that I, I think he was the last of that generation of being able to put up you know, double-digit number of complete games. And, and really, when you talk about being an ace, that's the kind of aces that I had grown up idolizing and having a chance to see that firsthand in Doc Halliday was just amazing. I mean, you're talking about 67 complete games. That's unheard of. I mean, yeah. abs- I mean, you know, 8, 9, 8, 9, 10, 9, you know, every year, you know, nine or 8 or 9 uh, complete games. Now that's, you know, staffs don't have 3 for a season. He had 8 or 9. Uh, so <laughs> in this era, no question about it. I mean, uh, what kind of guy, I mean, already he's a Big star, I understand that this is later in his career, but he might have been maybe on that team a little different than he was maybe in Toronto because it's so much later in his career. But what kind of guy did you uh, did you find? No, I, I think it, when you look at, uh, you know, it, it's one thing when superstars come over, and, and I've been around a lot of ace superstar pitchers, the guy who's paid the most, the guy who just came through free agency. I've been around a lot of guys like that, and those guys kind of, they have their own way of doing things. And Roy was that way. Roy was meticulous about his preparation in between. He was the first guy I, I ever saw, athlete, who slept in an oxygen chamber to kind of help with the recovery because he would throw so many pitches and work his body to the extreme. Um, but the, there was other things about him, little intangibles, where he was always still trying to 
learn. I know it sounds crazy, but he was also a, a teacher, a very good teacher of, of the game. I mean, he was a high school pitching coach up, you know, up until his time of his death now with his, his son's high school team. But he, I remember Jamie Moyer would play catch with him. And here you have, you know, one of the best in the game at the time. And Jamie Moyer, who was about 44 years old at the time, and Moyer was kind of teaching him things, and he was teaching Moyer things at the same time, just in their games of catch, how to cut the ball, how to sink the ball, how to throw a better change-up. He, he admired Jamie Moyer the way he, that he would challenge people with a change-up. That's something that's not really heard of. You always hear about people challenging guys with fastballs, with the 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. Roy didn't have a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. He had a ball that would constantly cut. He could pitch to the inside and outside with it. He couldn't throw to the upper part of the strike zone, that, you know, that four-seam fastball to get the swing and miss. So he didn't even bother pitching up there. He was at the knees and all around the zone with pinpoint precision. And one of the things he wanted to learn was how to throw that change-up that Jamie Moore did. And, and Jamie would work with him, and Jamie actually learned how to throw a cutter because of Roy Holiday. So those two guys are going back and forth in their days of preparation. For me, I got a chance to sit there, and, and I would go and watch his bullpen sessions. I would go down with the pitching coach and the, the bullpen catcher, and we would sit and watch. I would watch every single pitch he would throw and just try to pick up on how he could repeat his delivery so effortlessly. And it wasn't just about, you know, we hear, especially nowadays, mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. For him, it was about the release point. It was about executing that pitch and making it even better on the next pitch. If he wanted it to be two inches outside, it wasn't five inches outside. It was two, two and a half inches outside. He was able to make his mistakes. I mean, just make little mistakes. It was never big mistakes that he made. And, you know, the following year, of course, you know, some of the, it was towards the end of his his playing career, but that year in 2010, the perfect game. I have yep. one story for that. The perfect game. Yep. We were in Miami, and I'm the guy who they were like, hey, you know, Roy's going up in the ace. You know, you want to throw a little bit, get up on the mound. I'm like, uh, not doing it. I know what's going on. I can, I can just see the scoreboard. So you knew we had the perfect ninth game, inning, right? Ninth inning happens. I'm playing catch with the outfielders because they said, if you don't get in, you might start this weekend. So go ahead and get on the mound, a little touch and feel. And I'm like, it ain't happening. I played catch with the outfielders. All of a sudden, Roy cruises through the ninth inning. He throws the perfect game. And we all go running on the field. We're all going crazy. I mean, it was unbelievable that he was able to do it. And I'll never forget it. But Dennis Baez, who was at the time one of our you know, back-end guys, closer type, he was standing in the bullpen the whole time, and he didn't realize what was going on. He's like, where's everybody running to? He's like, he threw... You know, he, he threw a complete game. He always throws a complete game. And he had no idea that it was a no-hitter until we got inside the clubhouse and we're sitting there and everybody's high-fiving him. Uh, the owner of the Marlins sent over a bottle of champagne and the mound. They actually dug out the, the rubber and sent it over to Roy. And he was in the locker next to him, and he's looking at it, and he's like, oh, my God, all this for a complete game? And he goes, no. He goes, it was a what was it, a no-hitter? And they go, no, not a no-hitter, a perfect game. Like, you were oblivious because you expected that kind of thing almost every time he went out there, that he was so good at, at going so deep into the ball game that you just, it, was, it became commonplace. But that day was so amazing. And what did he do after that? He got, I think it was 60 of us in the organization. So it was the 40-man roster, some security employees, some front office people. He bought uh, these watches and had them engraved on the backside with the box score, the line score of the game, and it had all the zeros, had the you know the three zeros in the runs, uh, uh, errors and, and hits column, and on the back and on the box that it came in, it came in a World Series box, a World Series ring box. It said, "Couldn't have done it without you." Thanks, Roy Holiday. 
Very nice. I mean, I mean really, the classy, yes. one of the classiest individuals I have ever been around, and, and he was a guy that really uh, stood tall uh, in, in the game for me and, and that, that I remember in my career. We're talking about a guy here, and we're talking about Nelson Figueroa, remembering the passing, uh, tragic passing of Roy Halladay. And this is a guy who, you know, we talked about watching Verlander this year and what he did, which was terrific. Roy Halladay threw a no-hitter in a, in a playoff game. I mean, you know, not that long ago, threw a no-hitter in a playoff game. I mean, you know, uh, that's, that's legendary stuff, especially when you're expected to pitch well. Now, what we didn't know was, and I was just reading here, Nelson, while he was speaking, Halliday's father was a corporate pilot, and he grew up in the shadow of all these aircrafts, and it was his desire his whole life, since he was a boy, to become a pilot when he retired. Were you aware at all of any of this fascination with airplanes? Yeah, it was, it was, it was profound for him. It was, it, he wasn't one of those guys that was a speed freak. You know, there's a lot of ball players. You come into some money and you can afford the, uh, you know, the luxury exotic cars and, and try and set land records. He wanted to be up in the sky, and, and everyone knew that about him. Everyone knew that he had a, 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 a passion for it. Um, if you go to his Twitter right now, I think the last – I would say the last 20 posts that he has made are all about aircraft and the new aircraft that he actually died in. Um, it, it's, it's chilling to think that, you know, the thing that he coveted the most is, you know, what he died in. Um, he was just, he, he wanted to wait until after his playing career was over. He had his son, just two days ago, he had his son up in the air with him in the same in the same vehicle, uh, in the same uh, plane. And uh, it's just tragic. Uh, I mean, you know, he bragged about how easy it was to fly and, and, and how much he was enjoying flying this new plane. It was a brand-new model, a 2018 model, and, and he took it up and down at will. It was a, C, a two-seater uh, two seaplane. And just to see the pictures, even I think, I think the header photo for his Twitter is of the plane still. And, um, um, and amazingly, Nelson, I don't know if you're aware of this, talking about Nelson Figueroa, there's a video done by the company in that Roy talks in the video about the passion he has for flying and said she, meaning his wife, fought me the whole way. She didn't want any part of this. He, she said, I fought hard. I was against this every step of the way. But now that I've gone for a ride with them, I okay, I get it. That's what they use as their promotional video how ironic is, I mean, how, how scary is that or kind of, you know, weird is that, that that's a video that they have where they've discussed this and she fought forever for him not to fly. And that, but that was his love. I mean, obviously that was the thing that made him happy was to be up in the, up in the sky. Yeah, everybody has their things. You know, the guys play golf. Like I said, guys who get the exotic cars. Roy wanted to fly, and Brandy was, was uh, hell-bent against it, but she realized the safety of it and, and, and went for a ride in it and realized how happy it, it, it made him, the joy that it brought him. Um, I mean, I immediately started thinking back to Corey Lytle, yep. where, you know, right here in the East River. Um, Corey, Corey Lytle, Lytle and, Thurman and Munson. I mean, uh, well, Corey both, Lytle and he yeah. were teammates in Toronto. So, yes. I mean, it, that that's something. I mean, you you never you never see it coming. You never plan for it coming. He took all the precautions. He was trained. He again two days ago. He there's a video of him and his son up in the uh, up in the air together with it. I, I I mean, it's just a tragic tragic loss for baseball. Just a great great man, so well respected in the game. And again, I, I think it was it's one thing when your teammates can can you know throw some lavish comments out there and, and talk about how great you were, but when your opponents. Um, and your competitors can 
throw the same praise and same amount of respect, that's when you know you, you've done things right. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it very much. Thanks Thank for you. sharing Bye-bye. that with us. Appreciate it. Nelson Figueroa, who knew and was on the team, was a teammate of, of Roy Halliday's. And how chilling of that video uh, of his wife uh, that is a promotional video done by the company about Roy and his love for this A5 and this A5 owner and brought his wife into the video because he said she fought me the whole way hard. I fought very hard. I was very, very much against this, Brandy Halliday said. Then she went up for a ride. Okay, I get it, she said as she viewed from the clouds the view. Now I get it. I get what it's about. Roy Halliday today passed uh, in a crash of that uh, plane, that amphibious light aircraft. He was alone uh, in that plane today, and his passion for flying, which began, I guess, as a little boy. Halliday's father, Harry, was a corporate pilot. Roy grew up in Colorado in the shadow of aircrafts. He talked his whole life about he would, when his career ended in baseball, that he would uh, become a pilot and uh, really feed his passion finally for flying. I've been dreaming about flying since I was a little boy, but it's only something I've become once I retired from baseball. He recently told Seaplane Magazine. He got his pilot's license at 14. He's only had this Icon A5 for, according to reports, three months. And now at the age of 40, he's gone.